Good morning. Welcome to the Old School, a podcast about educational issues in the United States, uh, quirks, idiosyncrasies, various other issues and traits of the American school system and possible solutions for some of those problems, uh, insofar as you know the solutions. Good morning, Herr Dr. Bourgeois. Hello, Herr Miller. Uh, good to see and hear you this morning. This preamble is just to to tell you and, and myself actually that we need to uh, mind our P's and Q's a little because we have a, a guest that we're about to announce of some prominence, uh, quite a bit of prominence ac- actually. This is um, a serious guest we got here. It is. So so we need to keep our our silly jokes to ourselves. I know you usually start out a conversation with, uh, it seems there was a priest and a rabbi. Or that all, all jokes uh you know you get your, you know you're in for a good joke when you start hearing the priest the rabbi and then the run-of-the-mill protestant minister <laughs> i'd be through that in there so, so we have to we have to be on our feet so no cussing uh no and that and we do we like to keep the footage raw but when ross goes off in in a direction that's quite uncomfortable kind of like in the intro here um i i have some editing rights because i i do it on my computer um so keep keep that in mind here miller so you're, I'm the, saying, you're the gatekeeper yeah just watch yourself i'm i'm a bastard no reason to be threatening strange. I mean, what is that there's no reason uh, to be threatening i mean uh well i'm, I'm really concerned here but um, um why don't we um, pause for a moment? We'll we'll have some elegant transition, and and, and we'll introduce the guest um, as he joins us. How's that sound? Maybe a piano interlude. Why not? Why not? There's never a bad time for a piano interlude. I'm, I'm with you. All right, Herr Miller. So we will um, be back on in a, in a in seconds. Actually, for the listener, it'll be immediate. So why yes. are we even talking about it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't you know can either. edit this out. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe so. All right, there it is. So we're back after our excellent um, introduction, uh, Mr. Miller, and, and we have a, an honored guest. We, we'd like to welcome Dr. Larry Nyland, um, and he has served as uh, superintendent of schools uh, for the last 27 years. Uh, he's currently an educational consultant, uh, most prominently uh, superintendent of Seattle Public Schools uh, and also four other districts. Um, he's been and is a board member consultant speaker for multiple universities and international schools, uh, the founder of Seattle Pacific University Executive Leadership Program and a nationally recognized leader, uh, actually a school superintendents association finalist for superintendent of the year. Uh, so we're with some rarefied crowd here, Mr. Miller. I, I actually don't feel worthy of being on this call at the moment, but uh, so well, I'm, I'm very honored to have uh, the good doctor here with us. Indeed. So. Uh, Larry will do. It's Larry, Larry will do. do. Well, Larry, um, you can direct us to where, first of all, we want to welcome you. We're glad, we're glad you're here. We, you, you have a lot of areas. So we, we told you before that, you know, this, we envision this as one episode of potentially many. You're, you're interested in leadership development, uh, racial equi- ed- equity, uh, student voice. And I think we're going to start with the latter um, today and, and kind of take it where, where it goes. Um, so uh, maybe I'll just frame a question and then you can take it. From there, you mentioned a topic of student voice, happy and proud. Uh, I love the 
the sound of it. Maybe you can unpack that for us, first of all. Sure. Yeah, I continue to be amazed after 40-some years in the education business about how much I don't know or how much I need to relearn <laughs> about education. Um, actually, uh, as a little tiny intro, uh, before I get to the happy and proud, um, I want to say 20 years ago, might have been longer than that, um, Seattle, I was not superintendent at the time, hired me to do uh, focus groups at 10 middle schools. Mm -hmm. And so I did focus groups with students, parents, teachers, and administrators in uh, 10 middle schools. And uh, when I was all done, the wisdom from kids read like it came right out of the research books. Wow. So, I mean, it's kind of like kids are in the classroom all day, every day. And then I say I'm a, I'm, I'm a pretty poor learner. I'm, I call myself a recovering knower. Ah. So, you know, I, I, I try to find the right answer and then tell everybody what it is. And I guess what I'm learning more recently is the right answer is keep asking, keep talking with kids, keep listening, keep learning. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, every kid's different and uh, times change and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, the Happy and Proud Project mm -hmm. was done by uh, colleagues at the University of Washington uh, Center for Educational Leadership. And I thought it was uh, an excellent kind of research model, kind of the newer research model in terms of, well, let's just go ask the kids. Um, so they did that uh, and they were working in the Yakima Valley largely with uh, second language learners, ELL uh, students. And so they, they had to figure out creative ways to unpack that learning. Um, so they used drawings and they used graphics and they used oral interviews uh, and teased out. And in the end, what they found was what the kids really wanted is they wanted to be happy and proud. Um, so, um, you know, and then, then you can start to unpack that and you can go back to what I started with. I mean, you can say, oh, okay, got it. I've got the right answer now. Now I'll, I'll go work on making kids happy and proud. <laughs> or you can kind of use this newer model of keep asking the kids, uh, well, what would it take to make you happy and proud? Um, so, yeah, that, that's the thumbnail sketch okay. of what they've, what they've done. Well, it, it, it's fascinating because you're you're alluding to an idea that we as adults want to solve problems, and and we could potentially get in our own way by solving this. And and you're you're saying that the students don't necessarily want or need us to solve the problem; they just need to be heard. Right. And actually, they said that uh, in the middle of this yeah. process is coming. We don't want you to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't go survey us. Don't go. You know, <laughs> just listen to us. <laughs> That's that's sort of elegant and simple. And, um, well, let me ask one more question. I'm sure Ross has some uh, interjection here. But um, what did you learn, or what did they learn that was um, surprising? You know, specifically in those in those two areas. Hmm. Well, one of them that was surprising to me, uh, as in maybe a little humorous, is um, you know how how do you talk to kids? Uh, cross-culturally about a topic that might be difficult uh, where they don't feel comfortable in school and make it safe to do so. So I mentioned that they did it through 
diagrams and colors and shapes and that kind of thing. And the other thing that they did was they used heroes and villains. <laughs> so it was kind of like whether you play games, read comic books, and I was kind of like almost everybody has a construct. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can talk about, you know. And I, and then, uh, as I said earlier, one of the findings was uh, those changed a lot, you know. So for some kids, uh, being on the playground was a hero moment in that they got to cluster with their friends. Uh, it wasn't as formal as a classroom. And for other kids, uh, that was a villain because they were picked on, weren't part of the in crowd, et cetera, et cetera. So that's you know a tiny illustration of why we have to keep asking uh, because uh, to some extent each kid is unique and uh, we can't know what's in their head without without asking them. You talked about the expression "happy and proud." What did you assume that meant? You know, one of the one of the things like in debate they always talk about defining your terms. And so right. when you hear something like "happy and proud," what do you? What do you assume that means? What do you assume that that entails? And did your research have a different meaning uh, for those words? Great question. And no, they didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What they did was uh, they uh, interviewed the kids and got their story. And then they uh, read over like 50 stories. And then they created kind of a master story. And then they asked, uh, and they did a wordle in between, and they did an analytic to find out, well, what are the words that kids are using so that we can capture in their voice what it is that they said. Uh, And then they took it back to, uh, I don't know if it was the same group of students or a different group of students and said, okay, read the story and then tell us what resonates with you. So it was more like, um, I mean, it was definitely kind of qualitative research as opposed to quantitative uh, research. And then it was, yeah, I'm rusty on my research, uh, grounded field theory. Is that what you call that? Yeah, anything grounded uh, theory. Yeah, that's applicable <laughs> where, where you're working, basically. Okay. I'm so, glad you uh, added that because I'm not sure. I wasn't sure oh, what that meant. Yeah. I'm just uh <laughs> I'm not, I have no uh, no background as far as research goes of that sort, so I'm kind of glad to kind of get a sense of what that exactly means. But yeah, so anyway, then I mean the big idea was, and then they took this to teachers. So they asked teachers, "Well, what would you what, what do you think?" Uh, students said, and the teachers said, uh, "Well, we we think that the, they said that they uh, wanted to be safe and they wanted to be successful academically." Uh, and so you can kind of, you know, so if you followed up uh, on, on your question and sat a group of educators down and said, all right, what would we do to make kids happy and proud? The list would be quantifiably different than if you sat them down and said, what would we do to keep kids safe and help them achieve? Um, And then back to the original idea that's more organic. So the idea is that you could do it yourself. Actually, uh, as I was leaving Seattle, uh, we had one principle that uh, we've been working on this idea. We we hadn't come up with happy and proud, but we've been working on the belonging and the relationships and that kind of a thing. 
And they came up with, uh, they were going to go into classrooms and ask, uh, this is a middle school, they were going to go into a classroom and they were going to ask kids, can you tell us what you're working on? Do you know what the objective of the letter is, the lesson is? Um, where do you go for help? And how do you know, a question something like, how do you know if the teacher is uh, being supportive. That's not the way it was asked, but uh, that kind of a thing. And then they they had an app, so they would go in, f- four of us in a classroom at a time. We would fill out, we'd t- sit and talk to kids for five, 10 minutes. Then we'd fill out the app, and then we'd go out in the class uh, outside the hallway and talk about it. And um, in the beginning, teachers were really, whoa, what are you, you're going you're gonna, gonna to do what? This is kind of scary. And within a few weeks, it was kind of like, oh, when, when can I get that data? And then within a few more weeks, it was kind of like, oh, I could ask the kids myself. Mm. So, I mean, that's the kind of the breakthrough idea, I think, is, and, you know, and then I guess for Steve, it would be, you know, how do you do that with a really, really small R and not a big R, you know, so it's not a survey and it's not a... You know, what, what's an efficient process to ask kids to get some useful information and then do something with it? Well, Larry, it's so practical. I mean, I know you know the concept of a, a learning walk, and we, we've all, that's, that's something that I, I don't know how many I've led, but a lot. And, and the idea is that a group of teachers or administrators walk into classes for a relatively short time and get a, get a feel for it and then go in the hall and talk. But often they neglect the most important, the most simple step, which is to talk a little bit to the to the students, get a get a real feel, and and that and then then have that great conversation in in the hallway. Uh, what a great another one of the schools, another one of the schools that uh, had been doing work, the work for a long time. They actually brought parents in and uh, had students lead the learning walks. Uh, and, uh, it was just amazing to hear, you know, very quickly, really deep and thoughtful conversations with teachers, administrators, kids, and parents about, well, what did you see in the lesson that you liked? What should we do more of? Um, so just a powerful idea. So I'd love to imagine that in more detail. Um, so you're saying that there's a group of students in the hall who walk into classrooms with Parents, I mean, how did they execute that? Oh, I'm a little rusty on those details, but uh, I mean, they they would schedule it, um, and you sign up, and then they make a reasonable group, and they have enough of a bench for students, you know. So if you have, you know, it was usually a classroom full of adults, and they would sit us in the classroom for a few minutes and explain what we were going to see and what we were going to look for. Um, and then they would assign us, count off by fours and or fives or whatever it was, and get assigned to a student. And the student would have their, uh, you know, these are the teachers that have agreed to let us come visit their classes. Uh, and they gave us a little sheet of paper to fill out. Actually, I think what they did is they asked, maybe it was four groups, and they had four questions. And so I think they asked each group to focus on one question. And then we came back at the end and said, okay, group one, what did you see about relationships? Group two, what did you see about relevance? Group three, what did you see about whatever it was? Yeah. It, so it sounds like, about, a, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, 
Uh, sir, uh, go for it. All right. Well, when you're talking about the idea of, so the idea of accumulating information, how do you, how do you get what you need from the students? You know, to go back to the idea of happy and proud, I think certainly yeah. every teacher has mm -hmm. the notion that they want that, or at least every well-adjusted teacher wants that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the rub is always, how do you produce it in such a way that you don't sacrifice what you're trying to achieve, you know, from a kind of a teaching capacity. So for example, you know, I teach U.S. history, I'm teaching juniors, and most of them are well-equipped to argue personal points of view, uh, certainly more lately than, than before, but the idea that they don't have an issue with that. One of the things that I always try to create is an atmosphere by which we discuss ideas, not people, and mm -hmm. in an attempt to try to teach civility, but also how do you uh, appropriately, respectfully argue positions. At the same time, one of the things that I risk is that the kid may not always feel safe. And from a philosophical point of view, I'm not sure uh, safe in the way that I am thinking of it is beneficial so when you when you think about the word safe and you think about how you are trying to create happy, proud individuals, you know, pride presumably coming from a sense of confidence in what they know, how to use it, things of that nature. How do you fit in the kind of the nat what I see as a kind of a natural uncomfortability uh, that should go along with education? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the uh, big ideas is identity. So, um, how do I how do I make sure that students know that they're okay? Um, and a fair amount of my time has been spent in communities with Native uh, students, and so they're kind of a minority amongst minorities. Um, never see themselves in terms of print, media, movies, et cetera, et cetera, unless it's as a stereotype of 100 years ago. Um, so how do, how do you create an identity that says it's okay to be a Native or Black or Hispanic and to be uh, a good student? Um, so uh, a lot of districts have gone to the... Uh, it's been fascinating to see how people evolve. Uh, and I think in Seattle, we said we want every student to be known by name, need, and strength. And then other districts have moved it to name, strength, and dream, kind of accentuating the positive parts of it more than the gap and the negative part of it. But I think the bigger underlying idea is how do, how do you make sure that the student has an identity? So if they love baseball, somebody knows that and has that as a point of contact with them. Uh, you know, if, if they're really proud of their heritage, you know, how do you, how do you recognize that? Um, and then I suppose, depending on who you have in your classroom, having some cultural relevance so that some of the issues that you talk about are issues that uh, resonate more with that community than kind of the stereotypical mainstream white history, I guess. But yeah, a real challenge, particularly in districts. A lot of our districts around the Seattle area are 150 languages and 150 nations. So <laughs> doing something for each culture is not sometimes 
you can't do that. Right. So, so Larry, in some sense, um, we're still talking about training school administrators and, and teachers um, to, to make this happen. Uh, I would say that a, a good teacher, a great teacher, in fact, would, would include student voice and everything and, and cultivate that. Um, a lot of teachers will, will say that they're, they're too busy you know, they're trying to raise their achievement level and, and so forth. Yeah. But but is there a way systematically to uh, to help teachers to to do what we think they should do, which which is to get to know these students and let them um, become who they are right in that classroom? Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Ross, that'd be an interesting one. It's kind of like, so what, you know, how, how do we train teachers today? What, what do teachers try to do? So part of the pedagogy is, um, you know, I suppose we're talking about a different kind of pedagogy. So rather than the stand and deliver, it's more of a, how would I seat kids in a circle and how would I have them engage in a polite, respectful, um, maybe difficult conversation with competing ideas, uh, maybe without me present. I've seen teachers do that so that they start out moderating around the circle and then they're one in the circle and then they're one chair behind the circle. And then they're having the same kind of conversations around student voice, but around student behavior. So it's kind of like, so how did that conversation go? Who talked the most? Uh, were we respectful to each other's idea? What happened when Maria took on uh, Sam in terms of a different point of view? Uh, so it's um, it's still pedagogy, but it's kind of pedagogy on the run to try to figure out what do we need right now in this moment to help move that conversation? Well, not the conversation, the what what would the word be the discussion skill right. <laughs> forward because i love your idea ross that uh we, we don't want to shield kids from we, we don't we don't want to make them bubble wrap uh we we do want them to be exposed to difficult conversations but in a way that's measured so that they're not just turned off from their school or their relationships I think in the high school setting, it, it tends to be a little bit difficult. There's a couple of things happening, you know, especially from the modern student there, you know, you're talking about how the students themselves will kind of moderate and, and kind of referee for lack of a better word, you know, how the discussion goes and students are quite willing to do that, you know, but also the idea that at this point, their intellectual ideas are more a form of emoting than it is reason. And what mm. you're trying to do is you're trying to create the, the, me the method of reasoning. And so it can be a sloppy, messy uh, mm. process, uh, but hopefully in the end with a dedicated teacher and um, respectful students, perhaps you can get there. I think I love your idea because yeah. uh, I think that takes us beyond the happy and proud to right. Uh, how do you create a community uh, of learners that makes that happen for everybody in the group so that we're all looking out for each other uh, in the group and we're taking that idea and that culture with us? I mean, that's because you're right. I mean, when they leave the classroom, we're not going to be there to protect them or 
validate them or affirm them. Uh, somehow they're going to have to figure out how to, how to do that on their own. Well, uh, Larry, I think Ross is being a little modest as far as what he does in, in the classroom. You know, he, he's expert at, at doing this. At, mm, awesome. Yeah, he creates a, I mean, it's really a year-long discussion, and, and there are definitely parameters uh, of, of being polite, but also being willing to be questioned, you know, and so he, he doesn't, he will ask hard questions um, and is quite comfortable following up with a student when they're even publicly struggling to mm. Um, but but that builds trust in him because he's mm, sure and and in time they it, it does work and and then ideally and, and Ross you can maybe speak to that um, there there would be student to student conversation where you sit back proud and happy right well one you see it in this you see it in the class but what really makes you want to cavell is the idea that you know, they'll come back to you later and say we were talking about such and such over the cafeteria table wow. and and then you <laughs> just sit there and just like my job here is done <laughs> but uh it is a it is an ongoing process but i mean the idea that those conversations continue outside the classroom you know hearing from parents saying you know our our kid always brings up at the dinner table you know what you and your class were talking about and it becomes a discussion for the family and at that point, you just kind of want to high five yourself because it, it would seem unseemly to just go around bragging about <laughs> your kids are talking about everything you talk about in class. But So I'm uh, fascinated with the idea of uh, positive outliers. So and I've not seen any of the student voice go to that level yet. So I suppose we would do it through a walk and we would see your classroom and then we would maybe suggest to another teacher that they come visit or maybe try to elevate it and have you describe what you're doing. Um, but yeah, uh, great. And I assume that it uh, evolves that, you know, on day one in your class, you're not able to have the conversations that you're able to have near the end. Right. Um, so that means that you have to evolve. Maybe you, maybe you, you recognize the same path through the forest, hmm. but you have to evolve with the kids from day one to day 31. Yeah. In the beginning, the conversations are fairly, uh, uh, certainly not provocative. You know, it, the first day you're just dealing with getting the students uh, used to the notion of talking because in a lot of classrooms today, they simply don't talk and, and, and uh, the teacher doesn't want to run that gauntlet, you know, but at the same time, you ask yourself, well, where do the kids get to a point where they're confident, where they are proud of their ability to interact with folks without mm -hmm. causing greater animosity or what have you? It, it starts with simply just talking in front of other folks. And then after that, you can start kind of narrowing things down and getting a little bit more interesting as you go through the school year. Well, I love the idea of starting out with this topic of, of the, the students and, and the directness of actually asking them uh, is a wonderful thing. Um, I wonder you know, if, if we can push to an, another conversation about leadership. We haven't really talked a lot about school leadership, but, but, but maybe planting a seed for another talk. You know, how, how can a school leader foster this? Because that's an environment. You, know, you, you create an environment where the teachers... Uh, can listen to students and vice versa, um, but that that would, that's my idea for down the road. Uh, do you have any anything any closing thoughts or ideas, Larry? You wanted to add to our conversation? Hmm. Oh yeah, your leadership one 
pushes me off on the on the learning walk. Uh, so right. I, I actually worked with the University of Washington Center for Educational Leadership for a time and uh, led principals and superintendents who hadn't been doing the learning walks Yeah, and kind of moving from uh, the learning walks as a, what's my metaphor? My metaphor is, you know, if I was a first grade teacher and I never taught anybody anything, I just walked around and talked to students one-on-one, you know, in today's day and age anyway, I wouldn't be seen as a very good teacher. Uh, And so I, I tend to put learning walks in that category. It's kind of like, well, walking around and seeing random groups of random individual teachers teaching is not a very good teaching model. So then how does a leader, a principal, how do they walk through the building and find uh, Ross's class and say, wow, Ross is really onto something uh, and we really need to elevate student voice. So now how do I do the same thing for teachers that Ross is doing for students? How would I elevate that conversation? And, you know, would I have Ross share? Would I find a research article? Would I ask Ross if we can bring groups of four or five teachers in at a time to watch it? Uh, And then how would I measure it, you know, by learning walks or by other forms so that over time, every teacher was starting to approximate the kind of work that Ross is doing. So, yeah, I mean, that's why I keep doing this work. And it's kind of like, it's exciting for me that we're, we keep learning more and, you know, gradually it finds its way into our practice to and, and we're really, you know, for me, that's an equity issue in terms of, you know, unless we can help, help a whole new generation of marginalized kids also be happy and proud, they don't have much of a future. And we as a community school nation don't have much of a future. Wonderful. I think that that's a, a great closing thought. Um, Ross, and anything to add before we, we say adieu? I almost don't want to ruin it. It was such a great ending, you know, the kind of the last point that uh, that Larry made. I almost don't want to mess it up. So I think we go with as it is. So um, that sounds good. Now I just said a French word. Adieu. Does that mean hello or goodbye? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's like aloha. You can do it go both ways. I think it's yeah. goodbye though. So okay. Well, right. well, well, let's let's think so. But I like the idea of hello. In, embedded in that as well uh well larry thank you so much we, we've enjoyed this uh, and, and um we we do hope and that we can do some more of these um and, and enjoy the, the conversation uh ask you ask good questions and uh it's around a good topic wonderful well thanks again <laughs>